0: I'm super excited. Tonight we're going to start the book of Ezekiel. So if you have a Bible, let's go to the book of Ezekiel as today we're going to look at his calling. We're actually going to try to cover the first three chapters. And so you might wonder what will be the benefit of studying the book of Ezekiel. Um, Obviously, it's always a, a blessing, you know, to be able to study God's word. But His name means uh, strength of God or God will strengthen. And so maybe there's a couple of you here, you said, you know what, I'm going to come. Midweek service, I heard we're studying the book of Ezekiel. I kind of want to put that in my heart. That's cool. That's really cool. It's 48 chapters. It's going to take a while to get through it. But if you do, God will strengthen you. And that's kind of what we need. A lot of times people are asking for an easier life. We shouldn't ask for an easier life. We should just ask for stronger uh, souls. God, make us strong for the great work you have in front of us. And so let me pray with you, Lord. I thank you for uh, everyone here, Father God, my brothers, my sisters, Lord, maybe even some that have not yet committed their heart to you. Lord, it's our prayer as believers, Lord, that everyone would be saved. Your word even says that's your heart. God is not willing that any should perish. And so if there is anyone here that has not yet fully surrendered their life to you, I pray that you would just move in them in that way today. Lord, it's something that only you can do. They have to say yes. And so we love you, Lord. We pray. Just continue to bless. I thank you for um, little Jude. I I pray your continued hand upon him and his family. And upon all your people, God, so many uh, that need your touch. I pray that as we study your word, you would speak to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so three chapters. Um, Chapter one, we're going to see is God's heavenly glory. And so it's kind of a, a, a mysterious chapter. You can't be dogmatic about it. One thing, though, for sure, we get a glimpse into heaven. And so chapter one is God's heavenly glory. Chapter two is Israel's hellish iniquity. we're going to see the challenge that Ezekiel has and that he is sent to a rebellious people. And we're going to see that uh, even today. You know, we see in the world that we live in, for the most part, there are the majority of people don't want to serve God. But still, we got to go and share. We got to go and shine. And so that was Ezekiel's ministry. And then in chapter 3, we're going to see Ezekiel's heavy responsibility. And so look what we read here in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, now it came to pass in the 30th year. Now that's probably in reference to how old he was. More than likely, he was 30. Um, When a, a man turned 30, they could now enter into the priesthood. And so here he is, he begins his ministry. It says right here in verse one, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among, notice the captives by the river Chabar. And so he's now in Babylon. He's by the river Chabar. And so he says, as he was there, that the heavens were opened and I saw the visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, so that's uh, 592 BC, he says the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi in the land of the Chaldeans by the river uh, Chabar. And that's basically a canal off the Euphrates River that flowed there east of Babylon. As he was there, the hand of the Lord Was upon him there. And so you get a little bit of the background. Uh, What we find is that Ezekiel had been taken. And I don't know if you guys remember this kind of stuff or if you're even interested in it, but I think it's good to know that remember, Jerusalem was surrounded three times. The first time, 605 BC, that's when Daniel was taken to um, Babylon. The second time, 597 BC, that's when Ezekiel was taken. And then the third time was 586 and that's when Jerusalem was conquered and they were just leveled, right? And so he was there in Babylon and it's interesting, he'd been there for five years and and he didn't say anything until the day the word of the Lord came to him. And we're going to see that's an important uh, principle that that really you can't speak until first you've heard the word of the Lord. It's then that you can speak the word of God. So um, Warren Wiersbe said, we're not called to be manufacturers. We're called to be distributors. We don't create the message. We don't say, well, there's an opportunity to speak and I'm going to go up there and I'm going to talk. No, you have to receive from the Lord and and then you give out. It's like, we're not cooks. We're waiters, so to speak. That's what we're going to see happens to Ezekiel. We'll see that a, a few times. Now, just in case you're wondering, the big picture on the book Chapter 1 through 3 we're going to see is his calling, and so we'll see that tonight. Chapters 4 through 24 is the judgment of Judah. And so remember, as we're reading about these prophets, a lot of times this is kind of what we see, that they're directing their message to the Jews, and they're saying, hey, change your life lest you experience the discipline or judgment of God. And so all these chapters, he's going to be talking to them and he's going to be speaking in some very creative ways. We're going to see it's pretty amazing. And then in chapters 25 through 32, it's the judgment of Judah's foes or even the world. And again, you guys, as we read the prophets, we see this. We see this over and over and over again. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the minor prophets, that they're saying, you know, Israel, you got to get right As a matter of fact, the whole wide world has to get right. And then we're going to see, and we see this so faithfully in the prophets, in chapters 33 through 48, the restoration of Judah. And so that's the big picture. It's going to be cool. Um, Verse 3 here in Ezekiel 1, it tells us that he was a priest as well as a prophet. So as a priest, he would be a descendant of, uh, um, of Levi And so he joins Jeremiah and Zechariah in that unique calling, uh, both a priest and a prophet. But before God sends him out on his mission, Ezekiel receives this vision of heaven, even a vision of God. Now, how many of you here would be interested? I'm just curious. Would you be interested in seeing a, a glimpse of heaven? Like the, the sky split open and man, you see it there. And I, and I know you guys are thinking, well, I got it all figured out. I know what it looks like. I mean, man, you have never seen what it's, what it's like there. The glory of God is going to blow you away. The throne, the colors, the cherubim, the angels, the creatures. Um, we're going to see the creativity and the variety of God. is so amazing. Uh, but it's important for us to see it. And so for us, primarily reading the Bible... But as you're listening and you're open to the Holy Spirit, he shows you things. And so um, it's important. Um, Ezekiel, before he's sent out to talk to the people, he needs to get a good uh, perspective view of the glory of God. You know, and I was thinking about this. We're going to see later on. Ezekiel is called the son of man. We're, We're talking like 83 times. So why is he called the son of man? And we're going to see primarily it's because it emphasizes he's just a man. Okay, and so is humanity. So every prophet, every priest, every pastor, every teacher, every person is just a man. We got to know that. You know, we can't put anyone up on a pedestal. We can't. The only one we glorify is God. And so we're going to see here in the book of Ezekiel that he wants to establish that. This is all God, the glory of God. And so if anyone ever preaches or teaches or serves or represents God, you've got to be consumed with the glory of God. But if you've never seen the glory of God, if you've never seen how awesome he is, if you're here and you're not convinced on how awesome God is, If you're not consumed with the glory of God, if you haven't seen the glory of God, then you're not going to serve for the glory of God. You're going to serve for your own glory. I want people to like me. I want people to think highly of me. We shouldn't have that as a goal. Our goal is is the glory of God, and that's why he emphasizes it here. We see it in Jeremiah's calling. We see it in Isaiah's calling. We see it in Daniel's calling. Uh, later on in chapter 7 in the book of Daniel how they saw the glory of God and we have to see that as well look what we read here in verse 4 it says then I looked and behold a whirlwind you know like this storm if you could see it it was coming out of the north a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself now can you visualize the storm with the cloud And the fire engulfing itself. Can you visualize that? Brightness all around. It's just glowing, radiating out of its midst like like the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. You know, I mean, he's going to see the Lord. We're going to even see he even sees um, the one on the throne. It's really amazing here. Uh, In heaven, we're going to see these creatures. Look what it says in verse 5. Also, from within it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Each one had four faces, (laughs) and each one had four wings. Their legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. They sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. The hands of a man were under their wings, so imagine that, on their four sides, and each of the four had faces and wings. And, and so you look at this, and you know, to, to us it almost doesn't make sense. I mean, how could such a creature exist? Well, it's simply because we've never seen them ourselves, but... Ezekiel apparently did, and they're um, amazing. You know, it says right here in verse nine that their wings touched one another. The creatures did not turn when they went, but each one went straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, each had the face. Again, there's the four things of a man. Each of the four had the face of a lion. On on the right side, each of the four had the face of an ox. On the left side, and each of the four had the face of an eagle. And thus were their faces, their wings stretched upward toward two wings of each one touched one another and two covered their bodies and each one went straight forward. They went wherever the spirit wanted to go and they did not turn when they went. And so one of the things that we'll see is that, you know, you might not be Ezekiel, but you are a representative of God you are a Christian God wants to use you in in one way or another this is why we live this is why we live we live to serve God we live to glorify him and to help people and and so one of the things that we'll see is so important is uh, you know this whole mission it we're not alone God is with us and he even sends angels to help us uh, through this whole thing it's pretty amazing when we look at it now when you look at the Ark of the Covenant you guys might remember um, Moses uh, was commanded, he was given the instructions to, to make the Ark of the Covenant and he says it's the shadow of a substance and basically saying this is what heaven is like and there on the top of the Ark of the Covenant were two cherubim. There were two cherubim that pretty much dominated the, the Ark of the Covenant right there on the top and the Ark of the Covenant was symbolic of the throne of God. And so one of the things that we learn as we read the Bible as God reveals what heaven is like, is there are a ton of angels. There are a ton of these creatures, these cherubim, that are just so amazing. Now, now some will look at this and they and they say, well, these things uh, we you know we've got it all figured out. I, I've I read so many commentaries and there, you get so many different perspectives, and so none, no one has it all figured out. But we're not supposed to figure it out. I I think really what God just wants us to come away with when we read chapter 1 is just how glorious he is and how glorious heaven is. And when we're here on earth, we need to know who we're working with. Now, Now with the man, the lion, the ox, the eagle, some see this as intelligence and power and service and swiftness. The man is the one facing forward. That would be the intelligence, the lion, the power, the ox, the service, and then the eagle, the swiftness. And so amazing creatures having those types of characteristics. Others see it representing the highest forms of life. When you think of life, you think of humanity. You think of wild animals like the lion. You think of domestic animals like, you know, the ox. And then you think of flying animals uh, like the eagle all I know is that this is heaven. You know, and, and as you're looking up, you're seeing these creatures are so amazing. And as, we're, as we're, we're serving here, you got people in worship, you got people in children's ministry, you got people in different ministries. You know, we've got our security team. Not, I mean, we need all these servants sound, you name it. And as we're serving, we're serving with each other, but there's also angels that we don't see. But they're also a part of this. Right here in verse 13, it says, As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire. Think about that. Next time you're having a barbecue and you've got the charcoals there, whatever, you know? Burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches going back and forth among the living creatures. The, the fire was bright and out of the fire went lightning, and the living creatures ran back and forth in appearance like a flash of lightning. I mean, the, we already know they're eagle, eagles, so we know they're, they're quick. Some eagles uh, would fly at 200 miles an hour. I'm sure they're faster even than that. But Ezekiel, as he's about to go out and, and, and you know serve the Lord, he gets a, a glimpse. He gets a view of heaven. In verse 15, he says, Now as I looked at the living creatures... Behold, a will was on the earth beside each living creature with its four faces, and the appearance of the wills and their workings was like the color of beryl, and all four had the same likeness. The appearance of their workings was, as it were, a will in the middle of a will." And so in one sense, I think the way that I I, I was reading and one of the Hebrew guys was saying that one will is facing this way, one will is facing this way. So you've got a will going this way and then you've got a will going this way. And so this is what's going on here. And and so as they're there, it says the appearance of their working was as it were a will in the middle of a will. When they moved, they went toward any one of four directions They did not turn aside as they went. As for their rims, think about that, they had rims. (laughs) They were so high, they were awesome and their rims were full of eyes all around the four of them. Now again, if you can visualize that, some will say all those eyes speak of God's omniscience, knows everything, sees everything, angels, cherubim, Moving with swiftness, moving, I mean, they're moving so fast in different directions that they don't even turn. It's just like boom, boom, boom. Now some will say that this is the way that angels actually navigate through the world. Um, And and that's that's an interesting concept, you know, because how does the angel get from here, you know, to Disneyland? I mean, just curious. How does an angel get from here, you know, to whatever, another country? And some might think, well, they just, you know, appear and disappear. I don't know. Maybe they do travel. All I know is that, just as a quick side note, I don't want to do a whole lot of speculation, but I was listening to Pastor Chuck on this. He's talking about how a lot of people believe that when you see those uh, 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 UFOs, unidentified flying objects many many accounts will tell you that these saucers or these unidentified flying objects they would go they, they actually travel like that boom 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 i mean they don't turn you know how we get an airplane and we turn you know the whole thing or they're going they don't do it and so it could be that that's what people are seeing but but maybe not angels maybe demons a lot of people believe that the aliens, so-called aliens, and again, you look at the history of the world and how were the pyramids formed and how did these things, and there might be an aspect of this. And so anyways, we see the way they travel, but uh, most theologians believe that what, what's going on here is not just with the fact that they travel. It's not just that they travel. It's that God is working. And the wheels going in different directions, we're going to see led by the Spirit of God is just a, a, a reflection of how God is working. Now, there's different ways to look at that. Well, God is working. You might generalize that, right? But when I read the book of Ezekiel, I personalize it because I think that the, the people are, are already in Babylon. They're already in captivity, now they're in Babylon the false prophets are saying hey it's okay you know we don't have to dig in we don't have to feel like we're at home here you know we're going to go back to you know Jerusalem any day now right those are the false prophets but Ezekiel was saying no it's going to be a while it's going to be 70 years so there's really like no big picture as far as you guys going back Some of you're going to die here you got to get your own life right as individuals so God working God being able to turn on a dime angels you know that look like this maybe you're impressed with stuff like that that's cool that's fine at the end of the day though what God is is saying is I love you and I, I pray that you would surrender your life fully and completely to him you know Pastor Henry was talking about reading your Bibles I mean I trip out I'm like man why don't everyone should be reading their Bibles. Everyone should be seeking God in prayer and the word. And, you know, hopefully the book of Ezekiel, because it means that God will strengthen, that as we seek in the Lord, that we would grow stronger. Because we're not just impressed with the way that demons and angels move, you know, as far as their travel uh, abilities. We're, we're, we're desiring for God to work in our lives. And, and so... Um, Verse 19, it says, it says, when the living creatures went, the wills went beside them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wills were lifted up. Wherever the Spirit wanted to go, see, they went. And you see who's working? The Holy Spirit. And we're talking angels. You know, we're going to see prophets, the Word of God. They went because there the Spirit went and the wills were lifted together with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in uh, the wheels. And so we have a spirit, we have the Holy Spirit, and we see everything working together. It says in verse 21 When these went, these went. When those stood, these stood. When those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up together with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. And so the wheels, in one sense, Warren Wiersbe is really strong on this. It's just symbolic of God working, God moving in society. It says um, in verse uh, 22, the likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures was like the color of an awesome crystal stretched out over their heads and under the firmament their wings spread out straight one toward another Each one had two which covered one side, and each one had two which covered the other side of the body. When they went, I heard the noise of their wings like the noise of many waters. And so we kind of get now uh, not only what it looked like, but what it sounded like. You know, you go to the ocean, you hear the crashing of the waves. This is what's going on. These wings are... And Isaiah talks about, you know, creatures with six wings. These ones have four wings to me, it just I can't wait to see all the creativity of God in heaven. It says right here, many waters, this is what it sounded like, like the voice of the Almighty, a tumult, like the noise of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. A voice came above from above the firmament that was over their heads. And whenever they stood, they let down their wings. And above the firmament, over their heads, was like the likeness of a throne. Here it is in appearance like a sapphire stone on the likeness of the throne notice was a likeness with the appearance of a man a man high above it so now he sees the throne of God and what does he see he sees Jesus you know, because we know the Father is Spirit, John chapter 4. The Holy Spirit is called that for that very reason. They don't have a body. Sometimes, we're going to see it in Daniel chapter 7. Yeah, God the Father may uh, be described in that sense. But but more than likely, what we're seeing right here is a description of Jesus on the throne. No details are given on, on what he looks like. Uh, we do have the details on the other creatures, but for some reason, we don't have it on the likeness of this man on the throne, because I think simply really the focus is just the fact that it's Christ and it's the glory of God. Notice it says in verse 27, also from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw as it were the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around. Like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And So when I saw it, and I think that in one sense, this, is, this was God's goal. This was God's goal. When I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard a voice of one speaking. You see that guy over there? He can't really serve the Lord as a pastor, a prophet, or a teacher because he does not fall on his face. He hasn't come to that place where he's in awe of God. You never see him on his face probably never see him on his knees. See, when he sees the glory of God and when it hits him, when it finally hits him, he is prostrate on the floor. And so we, we, when we really see God that way, this is where we should be. Okay, now you're ready to serve in that capacity. Isaiah saw the glory of God. And he says, woe is me for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm among the people of unclean lips. I'm, I'm dust. I'm going to die because my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. You see, we have to have that about ourselves. And this is why I pray that you know, we would always be in it for his glory, not ours. And also, I want to warn you guys, please, don't glorify Men. Because God is a jealous God. And if we start glorifying a a man, then we're going to have an idol. We might even make that person stumble. Oh, you're so awesome. No, you're not. Do you guys realize how much of a sinner Billy Graham was, Mother Teresa was? (gasps) Mother Teresa, yeah. Well, Daniel was perfect. There's nothing bad about Daniel. Nothing bad about... About, about Joseph maybe. Yes, there was, just not in the Bible. Every man, the best of men, are men at best. We gotta be in this for the glory of God. When we see the glory of God, when it really, you'll be ready, maybe. <laughs> you, when you fall on your face, that's, I know who I am. I know who I am. I'm a loser with a capital L. I'm a sinner with a capital S. The only thing holding up my halos are my devil horns. Every man is like that. Every man. Now, if there's anything good in a man, it's not the man. It's God. So why are you glorifying the man? See, right here, Ezekiel, as he's about to start, he's just overwhelmed with the glory of God we have to have that you know he sees this throne and you know revelation chapter 4 verse 3 it also describes the rainbow but there in revelation 4 verse 3 the the, the rainbows all around the throne you know, also in Revelation chapter four and chapter five, you get glimpses of heaven. There you'll see cherub and cherubim. It was just plural as well. you see angels. It's an amazing thing. You know, I, I think that one of the things that messes us up is we don't have eyes to see the invisible realm. We should see. There are angels, there are demons. There's all this that's going on. There's you know the lightning that God is answering prayers. And so we see in chapter 1 God's heavenly glory, but then chapter 2 Israel's hellish iniquity. He says in verse 1 and he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. So he right he was prostrate. Okay, now he's going to give him strength to stand, you know. And again, he's called the son of man here And I've read different totals, some say 62 times, some say 93 times. But Ezekiel is referred to as a son of man a ton of times. We're going to see it in the book. And it's context simply meaning that he's just a man. It's emphasizing his humanity. And so we see this here. Um, Verse 2. Then the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me and, and set me on my feet. And I heard him who spoke to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation. Now we're going to see the word rebellious 17 times. 17 times. To a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day for they are impudent. And that means that they show no respect for God. They're stubborn children. I'm I'm sending you to them. And you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. As for them, whether they hear, whether they refuse for their rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor, nor be afraid uh, uh, of their words. He mentions the, the fear again in chapter 3, verse 9. We'll see today, um, not, you know, one of the things going into it, we can't be afraid of what people say about us, what people think about us, whether or not they listen to the message. That's between them and God. You have to just go and teach we're going to see teach the word. Don't be afraid of them. I notice right here, though briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions, do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. And so I don't know if you guys would qualify as rebellious, maybe a few of you, uh, but a midweek service is a little different, right? I don't know. I'm just giving you guys the benefit of the doubt. But you know, the, you go out into the world, you know, and I can, I don't know, for me, maybe in some of the uh, public settings there in, this, in the community, in the city of Almonte, maybe where you work, maybe your neighborhood, maybe, you know, people that, you know, they're not Christians, they're rebellious and so you don't you don't share with them anymore you don't share with oh i don't want to share with them anymore i'll share at church i'll share with the brothers i'll share with the sisters but not in that setting you know because they might not like me anymore man that's a scary place to be you're the you're the one who has the cure for the the cancer to the soul you're the you're the one and you're afraid to talk to them because you're worried they won't like you? So we're gonna see later on they go to hell because you don't say anything? No, he says this is this is what you you know, the, the glory of God, that heavenly vision, but the, the hellish iniquity of these people, they're so rebellious. But don't be afraid of them. And it might get difficult. Those are thorns and briars. And it might get dangerous. Think about it. You know, you know, living with scorpions? It, it might, yeah. But don't let that stop you. Now, this doesn't look like a fun ministry. Most people would not be interested in such a thing. Rebellious nation, transgressors, stubborn, impudent, briars, thorns, scorpions... It's not fun and it, and and it, and it won't even look fruitful, which can be very discouraging when you don't see the results, but we're, it's not our, our the results are not our responsibility, right? Our responsibility has to be to give what God calls us to give. Now, now some of the people in those days may have judged the ministry of Jeremiah. They may have judged the ministry of Ezekiel, concluding that they were minute ministries. When in all reality, look at them now. They're still bearing fruit. See, the preacher's prerogative, the messenger's mission... Is not to save. I would love for people to get saved. Um, we see it sometimes, but not as much as we would like. I, I would love for people to get sanctified and surrender their life. But, you know, most of the time, to be honest, most of the time in the church, you don't see that. You don't see people submitted, surrendered, completely committed to God but you just you have to continue to serve. You know it's not our job to convert people. We don't have the capacity to convert a single soul, but we are to continue to communicate God's word. And this is why I'm so blessed, you know, for us, we just open up the Bible, we read it. Some people are interested in it and some people are not. And the ones who are not, they don't come back. Because they're not interested in the word. They want to hear maybe some other stories or other things. But for us, it's kind of cool. We open up the Bible, we read it, we do the best I can to kind of, you know, pull some things out of there. You get the big picture. Um, but it's just a beautiful thing when you do some people, see some people interested in it, saved and then sanctified. But, but right here, the Lord says to Ezekiel, it's, it's not going to be all that successful. But he prepares them for it. Look what we read in verse 8. You, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe you see if we if we see the glory of God and of course I don't know like there's maybe different ways of seeing the glory of God like you can see creation or you can see the cross you can read the Bible and you're just really hit with the glory of God you know, if you see the glory of God and then you see your own depraved humanity, you know, it's it's an interesting journey that Ezekiel has. You know, then when we're called to speak, we won't speak our word. We'll speak his word. And the only way that we can speak his word is if we take in his word. So there you are, you're just, All you do is you look at videos on YouTube. Is that God's word? Let me tell you something. There is nothing, nothing like you and the Bible and the Holy Spirit. No one else. But what we see nowadays, everybody's just watching videos and they're listening to man. There's a place for that. There's a place for that. But I've learned in my life there is nothing like me the Bible, and the Holy Spirit. You take it in. You take in God's word and you're eating it. You're eating it. When you're eating it, you're opening up your mouth, you're opening up your heart, you're assimilating it. It becomes a part of you. Now, you know, you have something to say. Warren Worsby said, like I said earlier, we're called to be distributors, not manufacturers. God gives to us and we give to others know one of the things i just want to encourage you in people ask for advice they ask for counsel give them bible verses don't just give them your experience don't just give them your opinion give hey give them you know whatever the psalm may be the proverb may be the words in red the words of jesus might be give them the bible See, it's important that we give out the Word of God. we got to take it in for ourselves first. And so here we have God's heavenly glory. We have Israel's hellish iniquity. They're so rebellious. This is where Ezekiel's sent. And then we have Ezekiel's heavy responsibility. And this is a heavy chapter. You guys ready? Some of you might want to leave right now. I'm just joking. <laughs> This is a heavy chapter, you guys. Look what it says in verse 1. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. And so it it is... I mean, taste and see that the Lord is good. It really is. Just, I don't know, when you're saved, you just love the word of God. When you're saved and you're reading it, it's just sweet to the soul. Now, Psalm 19, verse 9 and 10, The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. I was thinking about the holidays and just how we grub. Huh? And you guys, how many of you guys have a sweet tooth? I'm just curious. So now we've come to the the beginning of the year and I don't know how you guys are doing, but I'm like, okay, I ate like two tons of seized candy (laughs) last year. Okay, now it's a new year and I got to stop it, you know, (laughs) but I have to admit it's so good. You know, the the dark chocolate with the peanuts from C's Candy or whatever. You guys like to choose. Everybody has their favorite. The sweets, the cake that I've been eating. So much, you know. And and what, what, what we're reading here is that the Word of God is more desirable than that. How many of you here would like to win the lottery? How many of you here want to make more money? The Word of God should be more desirable than that. So my encouragement to you, uh, Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Imagine that. That's how reading the Bible should be, studying the Bible should be. But but the one in, that, I, that I'm really interested in, Revelation 10, 9 and 11, John the Beloved says, So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it and I will make your stomach bitter. But it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. And so you read the word of God and it's sweet because it's the word of God. But then when you digest it and you think this one through you realize that judgment is coming to the United States of America. You realize that judgment is coming to the whole wide world. That Jesus came the first time as a lamb, the second time as a lion, and it kind of like, whoa, Lord, this is hard because we're going to see some heavy things. He says in verse 4, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, but to the house of Israel. Of Israel. Now, just as a quick side note, remember Ezekiel is in Babylon, and you know he's not necessarily being sent to the Babylonians. God is sending him to the Jews there in Babylon, and, and in one sense, it's kind of like you know me being sent to the church. You also sent to the church. Anyways, not not to many people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language whose words you can understand. Now, this is interesting. Notice what he says next. Surely, had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Now, it's an interesting uh, thing that God says. God says that Ezekiel, if you just went and you just preached your own message, if you just preached what you wanted to preach, someone like a Joel Osteen, they, they, would, they would receive you. They they would love you. They, oh, you're so good, you know, because you're you know you're just you know you know what they want to hear, right? And, and so you give them what they want to hear, but but Ezekiel they won't listen to you because you are a man that's sharing with them what I'm telling you to say to them. And so it's interesting. Some people believe, well, you know, I'm such a good you know pastor, preacher, teacher because everyone listens to me. Maybe that's not a good thing. <laughs> Listen right here. He says, Israel, they're impudent. They're hard-hearted. Verse 8, behold, I have made your face strong against their faces and your forehead strong against their foreheads. Have you guys ever heard of headbutts? No, I'm just joking. Now, um, there may be something about that. But basically, in this culture, uh, the hard foreheads spoke of determination. Determination. And so again I have made your face strong against their faces and your forehead strong against their foreheads. Now again what we're talking about do you guys remember the name the meaning of Ezekiel God will strengthen. I'll strengthen your forehead. I'll, I'll strengthen your determination. I'll strengthen you. Verse 9 like like adamant stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them nor be dismayed at their looks though they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you and hear with your ears. Now I think real quick, just as a side note, I think that's part of the reason why we're not as effective as we should be because it doesn't reach the heart, you guys. You know, sometimes it goes, we were talking about this earlier. It's funny that we, in in the prayer meeting, it'll go in one ear, out the other. And you talk to someone, you know, half an hour after the study. What'd you get out of the study? What study? You know, it's like, (laughs) no, let it go from here to here in the heart. Um, Notice what he says here. Verse 10. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all my words I speak to you, and hear with your ears, and go get the captives to the children of your people, and speak to them, and tell them, Thus says the Lord, whether they hear or whether they refuse. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a great thunderous voice Blessed is the glory of the Lord from his place. I also heard the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another. And the noise of the wheels beside them and great thunderous noise. So the spirit lifted me up and took me away and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit. But the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. And then I came to the the captives at Tel Aviv. Now this is not Tel Aviv, just in case you're wondering. This is in Babylon. And so anyways, who dwelt by the river Jabbar and I sat where they sat. And remained there, astonished among them, seven days, so seven days he didn 't say anything he didn 't say anything. remember we we're talking about earlier? Not going to say anything until God gives him something to say. So it says right here, now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, "Son of man, I have made you a watchman, and you might want to circle that word in your Bible, a watchman for the house of Israel." Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. So a watchman was an, actually an individual. They'd be up on the mountain, maybe on the, on, the, on the walls of the city, or maybe even a special watchtower. And obviously, they're there to warn, right? If there's any type of danger that's heading their way. And, and so he says, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. Now, there's going to be four types of people. Verse 18, When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. So you work with someone, and you've never shared the Lord with them? Oh, I haven't been led. No, you're led. (laughs) The Bible says that we are to share with those who are dying. You know, here's the wicked man, and you don't share with the wicked man. Yeah, he dies in his sins, but notice what it says right here. Your blood I will require at your hand. If the watchman doesn't warn, then people will die in their iniquity, And then for us, this is what I'm talking about, we have this heavy responsibility. What if I didn't warn? What if as a pastor I never talked about hell or the lake of fire? What if I never talked about sin? Would I go to heaven? Oh, but you're a pastor. You went forward August 20th, 1989. You got saved. You talk about it all the time. Yeah, but I don't warn people. I don't talk about the the calamities or the consequences of sin. I just want everybody to like me. You know what the Lord is saying here and and what it is is extra stimulation because there might be someone listening to me who says you know what I'm just not one of those people. I I don't like to tell non-believers about God because I'm afraid they're going to ostracize me and you know I don't want to be bold. You know maybe if I'm you know pushed by the Holy Spirit maybe then I'll say something. All I know is that you know, like like I heard my brother say, you're playing with fire, man. You're, you know, you've are you're, you're in. You got to be careful right here. He says, you've got to warn the wicked. He says next in verse 19, Yet if you warn the wicked, he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way. He shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. So the first one he didn't warn. Your blood is at, the blood is on your hands. The second one, he warned. The wicked guy didn't turn, but isn't it interesting? Right here, he says, "But you have delivered your soul." Now, some say it's not spiritual; it's only physical. He's talking about you know the Jews and them dying in you know in Jerusalem, and and I don't know. Maybe they're right, but when I read my Bible, I like to take it at face value, especially the warnings. To a certain extent, I, I think when I read this. I don't know. You know, for me I'm like, okay, Manny, you better you better say what God tells you to say. And you better stop being trying to please men at the expense of pleasing God. You know, some people they go to church, but they're not going to go to heaven. You think going to church is that an automatic entrance? No. We have to be those people who have repented of our sins and received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, right? And so right here, he says, if you warn them, you've you've delivered your soul. Now, I I, I do think it's applicable to all of you guys, but at the same time, I have to say it's even more applicable to someone like me, those of us who teach the word, right? James chapter 3, verse 1, it says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. I can't imagine anyone, you know, pretending to answer the call of God, to represent God as a priest, to preach for God as a prophet, and not being willing to speak the message of God. And there are some people who don't really teach the word of God. You know, they might get up there, they might open up their Bibles, but they never really teach from the Bible. Same thing, same thing. This is what we're required to teach. Ezekiel was to warn the wicked. But here's where it's interesting. Because you might be here tonight thinking, well, I'm not the wicked. I'm saved. Look what he says in verse 20. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you did not give him warning, he shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered. But his blood I will require at your hand. And this is part of the reason why I commend you. I praise God that you come to the Bible study and you even know, well, we're in Jeremiah, or we're in Ezekiel, or we're in these hard books. Because, um, you know, these warnings, but maybe God will use them to keep us on track. Keep us on track because many people have turned away. And they're no longer in church. They're no longer serving God. And there are those who say, well, then they never knew God. Maybe you're you're right. Maybe that's the way it is. But again, I'm just gonna take the Bible at face value. It says when the righteous man turns. The righteous man. So for me, for you, we have to abide. John 15, that's our new t-shirt. If you got the t-shirt, you should know what it means. You have to remain in the vine, rest in the vine. Pastor Chuck said, I'm eternally secure as I abide in Jesus Christ. Here's Ezekiel say, if you warn the righteous man, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness, I, I'm, you know he shall die. But if you haven't warned him, then his blood will require a hand. Verse 21, nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. Also, you will have delivered your soul and so verse 21 that's the one I like (laughs) that's for us you guys you know you warn even the righteous yeah they're not doing anything wrong yeah they love the Lord yeah they're on spot but you still teach those things they stay on track you know and then even the preacher has delivered his own soul because this is what God calls us to do verse 22 then the hand of the Lord was upon me there and he said to me Arise, go out into the plain, and there I shall talk with you. So I arose and went out into the plain, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there like the glory which I saw by the river Chebar. And I, and I fell on my face. And we're going to see, Ezekiel does talk about the glory of the Lord departing, but then the glory of the Lord returning. And here he is again. I love it. He's on his face. And then the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet and spoke with me and said to me, Go, shut yourself inside your house, and you will send a man surely. They will put ropes on you and bind you with them so that you cannot go out among them. And so more than likely, God is telling him, go, kick back in your house for a while. This is just, you know, for a season because I don't want you out there. Uh, they're going to deal with you in a way that's not right. But verse 26 is, I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth, so that you shall be mute and not be one to rebuke them, for they are a rebellious house. But here it is: when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, "Thus says the Lord God: He who hears, let him hear; and he refuses, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house." And so, what what he's saying is, you, you speak; uh, you be open to speak don't speak your words speak the words that i put in your mouth that i put in your heart and as you do there'll be times where god is going to say hey you know you're in this house and you know we've got you know i've got nothing to say but when god gives us that heart an opportunity and we are able to share you know right here it says he who hears let him hear it reminds me of what Jesus said um, seven times in the Gospel. For example, Matthew eleven fifteen, he who has ears to hear; let him hear. He also said it seven times in the Book of Revelation. He who has an ear to hear; let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this is what we need to do, you guys. So I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged. I pray that we get in the Word. One of the things I think that will happen, even is as we get into the word, the word will get into us and then we're going to have some substance. We're going to have something to share with the people that we love. You know, the other day I went to Ikea with my son. Have you guys ever get furniture from Ikea? Yeah? Have you guys ever tried putting it together? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it was fun. You know, it took us whatever, 10 hours, you know. <laughs> But um, one of the things about the, the furniture at Ikea is you have to follow the directions. Huh? And it's so crazy because you know, they try to make it easy for you. As a matter of fact, when you look at the directions, there are no words. It's just pictures. That's how hard <laughs> they're trying to make it easy for us. And so my son and I, we we made some things yesterday and it came out so Beautiful. I mean, for the first time in my life, they're actually 90 degree angles and, you know, it's pretty cool. All the screws fit. We didn't have any extra parts, things like that. And um, I was just thinking about how, you know, you may, you, again, I don't want to over, overdo it, but in my life, this is the way the spirit of God has worked with the word of God. And as we're starting a new year, if you don't have any type of plan or goals in reading that word, um, yeah, you know, I think, I think that you need to think that one through again. You now, don't play Bible bingo. Oh, today I'll read here. Today I'll read there. My encouragement to you is to start somewhere, whether it be the New Testament, the book of Genesis, and as you are, you're reading, you're asking God to, um, to do that work. The Spirit of God will take the word of God and he will conform us into the image of God. So that we can go out and do what? Point people to God. This is why we live. So may we never forget that.